Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Sports Rivals. It is the July 11th week edition of the Sports Rivals. And Ernie, today we're going to talk. It's recently, it's been all about the NBA. Today, mm-hmm. we're going to capture everything. I mean, today, Novak Djokovic won his 21st Grand Slam with his fourth consecutive Wimbledon, mm-hmm. benefiting from the fact that Nadal went out in the quarterfinals with an injury. Um, nevertheless, Djokovic. He's 21 Grand Slams, yeah. one behind Nadal now at 22. And I heard them talking today. Between the two of them, they've won 15 of the last 17 Grand Slam events, which is remarkable. One is 35, and I believe one is 39. Yeah. And they keep dominating the sport. You know, and the amazing thing about this is what if the other one didn't even exist? That the other player would probably be, you know, who knows, maybe close to 30. Yeah, we've talked about it before. You add Federer in there who's injured with a knee right now. That's 63 Grand Slam titles in their career. That's mm-hmm. the equivalent of 16 full years of Grand Slams <laughs> that just these three guys won. It's remarkable. But that was tennis today. We're going to talk a little bit about Tiger Woods and the Open uh, coming up, you know, next week. We're going to talk a little bit about Major League Baseball. The All-Star Game is set. A little bit about the NBA and a little bit about the NFL. But Ernie, let's start first with Major League Baseball. We're at the halfway point, mm-hmm. and your Cardinals are right there in the race. Yeah, better than they were last season. At this point last season, I don't even think they were at 500 yet. They kind of made a, a late goal uh, towards the ending of the season to actually, actually hit the playoffs hot. So... Uh, to me, it doesn't really matter where you're at at the all-star break. I would rather, you know, you, you be that hot team going into the playoffs, which they were, you know, unfortunately they ran into your Dodgers. And we barely beat them in the play in <laughs> game. But okay. So let's talk about a little bit. Let's first start with the team that I don't think we really care about. Okay. But they've had a phenomenal first half, and that is the New York Yankees. I mean, coming into today's matchup with Boston, they are 61 and 23 on track to obliterate the most wins. Um, and it has been a remarkable season for the Yankees. And I think the one thing with the Yankees is they've managed to stay healthy, pitching staff healthy. Claire is healthy. Judge is healthy, playing for a big contract. Stanton has been healthy. Um, 61 and 23 Ernie through 84 games yeah, just yeah. crazy yeah it, it's it's been incredible like you said the health is there uh that pitching staff is formidable I mean I, I believe they got three three pitchers in the all-star uh game so and again you mentioned they, they've always had the studs they they've had the payroll in order to you know acquire the top players you know in, in their division in all of baseball and and they've been snake bitten for several years uh and now it's being it's coming together but it's just the first half of the season there's still a half season to go who knows if the what ugly things may arise in 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 yankee stadium as we go throughout the season so good for them but it's still a long season yeah i mean with them it's all about it's all about injuries are they going to be able to stay healthy the only real injury that they've had so far was to their closer um and then 
they found a better one, you know, because Clint Holmes is, <laughs> is an all-star now um, with 14 saves. And I'm not sure he's going to give that back when uh, when their closer comes back. So the Yankees are dominating right now. But what's amazing is that the American League East would have four playoff teams if the season ended now because the Blue Jays, the Tampa Bay Devil Ways, and the Boston Red Sox would all make the playoffs as wild cards right now. So... The Yankees are doing this, and they have the best division in baseball. So that's pretty, pretty impressive. It, it is, and uh, you know the 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 last place team is just one game under under five hundred. You know, in Baltimore. So talk about a stacked division, and yeah, the Yankees got a fifteen game uh, lead as we speak right now over the the Bo Sox. So yeah, incredible, incredible, but. Uh, you know, again, we're at the halfway exactly, point. We're only exactly, at the halfway point. Exactly. Another team with a huge lead right now is in the American League West, where the Houston Astros have are running away with the American League West. The American League West, I think, started off strong. The Angels were playing really well. Um, they've really faded dramatically. Seattle's doing okay, hanging around 500, but you know, the Texas Rangers are coming on relatively strong, but again, under 500. And then you have the Oakland A's that are perpetually trading off their best <laughs> players and now suffering through that, uh, I believe, 22 games under 500. Yeah, and Houston, to me, I mean, I, I, I think when all is said and done, they're going to they're gonna even widen their gap. I mean, Seattle, they're, Seattle is 11 games behind Houston, and that's coming off of uh, – eight consecutive wins they're the hottest team in baseball right now the seattle mariners with yet it puts them at 11 games behind the the astros so you know houston unless there are major injuries that's going to happen you know I, I it's it's their division to lose yeah and in the central i think right now it's still really anybody's anybody's division to win i can see the guardians getting hot i could see you know the white Sox getting hot but for right now it's the minnesota twins in first place in the central and for all of you i'm not sure if any of you are really interested in the minnesota twins except for the lasiste family that we know pretty well who likes all of the minnesota uh teams so in the national league we talked a little bit about your cardinals mm -hmm. i think one of the most remarkable things so far this year has been the success of the new york mets they played all season without their ace, Jacob deGrom. They played most of the first half without their big, high-paid uh, Max Scherzer addition. Yet they are still in first place in the East playing great, great baseball. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're, uh, they're, they're leading. They have a one game lead against, uh, last year's, uh, champion, uh, in Atlanta. But, uh, nevertheless, you know, They've been, they've been playing very good ball, you know, uh, right now, 20 games above, uh, above 500. So that fares them well compared to last season. Yeah. So if they get Scherzer to stay healthy and if they get DeGrom to come back sometime soon, and he seems to be a few weeks away, if those two aces can come back and come back strong, um, the Mets are going to be in a great place. Now the Braves started off the season slowly. Maybe it was a hangover from the World Series. Ronald Acuna not back yet from his ACL. They started off really slowly, but they have been red hot and making a beeline for the top of the East. And now they find themselves only one and a half games back. So the Braves look 
look to be a solid playoff team for sure, led by all-star Max Freed. Uh, Kyle Wright's having a great year pitching. Their pitching staff is solid, and Kenley Jansen is doing so much better for them than he did for the Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> so far as their closer. Now, speaking about my Dodgers, they have gotten hot recently. Today, they won their seventh consecutive game. They've now won 11 out of 12 to go to 27 games over 500. Um, their highest mark so far for the year they now have an eight game lead over san diego 12 and a half over san francisco that padre lead the padres led the division only around three weeks ago mm -hmm. and since then they've gone ice cold and the dodgers have gotten hot gotten a big lead there and that's despite the fact that the dodgers have played most of the first half without walker bueller who's now out for potentially the rest of the year they put missed half of the first half in with uh kershaw kershaw missed a chunk of time in the first half they've gotten an 11 and 0 record out of tony gonzalin who remarkably is an all-star with an era of only 1.62 they've gotten nine and three record out of tyler anderson who's his first year there a 36 37 year old journeyman who's having a career year for them um, and their bullpen, you know, their big addition closer Kimbrel has been struggling and their three best setup men all got injured, mm -hmm. you know, with two of them potentially out for the year. So the Dodgers are going to have to get stronger uh, on the pitching side for sure. Um, and then right now they're, they're led, their offense is led by all-stars Mookie Betts, Trey Turner. Uh, Freddie Freeman didn't make the all-star game because the first base position in the National League is loaded, but he's hitting over 300 with over 50 RBI. So he's having a good year. So my Dodgers look to be on pace to make the playoffs again. Yeah, I think you're right, right on it. I mean, you know, next to the Yankees, I think, you know, they've got the, the the most potent offense and you know as far as runs allowed i mean again second to to the yankees and this is uh you know having more adversity that they've had versus the yankees so i believe in a full season everything kind of balances itself out so i think at the pace that they're going if you were if we're just looking at the overall numbers right now they're doing a terrific job way better you know i think it's going to be less stress than they had of lap from last year's uh uh you know, competitors chasing the Giants. Exactly, exactly. Not chasing the, and I think that, again, that is the law of averages. I think what they did is they overachieved. That comes back down to earth. San Diego is San Diego. They will probably give the Dodgers obviously the biggest push, uh, in that title, but it's the, it to, again, it's the Dodgers, uh, place to give away. And, uh, anybody who's going to compete with them is going to have to go through. Dodger Stadium. It, it looks right now like we're on track for a Dodger Yankee World Series. If you go by the records, uh, as a huge Dodger fan, there are some holes in this Dodger team right now. I don't think they're hitting as well as they could. They, like I said, their bullpen is, is quite a wreck right now with injuries. And without two of their top starting pitchers, how much can Gonzalez and Anderson carry them uh, down the stretch? You know, so I, I have my questions about that right now. I actually think this Dodger team is overachieving considering the the injuries that they have right now. Uh, again, I like what the, the Cardinals are doing with their all-stars and Arenado and Goldschmidt, who would probably be the, the MVP of the league right now if the season ended. And of course, Milwaukee's arms are always a threat. You know, their starting pitcher is 
pitching is brutally good. And then, uh, you know, Hader is almost unhittable as the closer. So in a short series, Milwaukee's always going to be dangerous. But gang, that's about as much baseball as you've heard from us since the World Series last year. But it is the halfway <laughs> point and we are transitioning with basketball going out. And before NFL comes in, then we'll start talking a little bit more baseball down the stretch, especially if the Dodgers and the Cardinals remain strong. So Ernie, before we transition into the NFL, mm-hmm. I know I just kind of threw this out there because I just remembered the Open is coming up. Tiger Woods is preparing for it. What do you think? What do you expect? Because by the time we record, it's already going to be in play. What do you expect from Tiger? Do you expect what he gave us the thrill at the Masters? Or are you expecting the tragedy of the PGA or somewhere in between? Yeah, I think somewhere in between. I know. Just because Tiger is a competitor, he wants to go out there and play the game. And when he steps on that course, he wants to give him a chance to win. I don't think he's going to play in any tournament where he doesn't think he has a chance to win. And what showed in the previous uh, major championships that he mistimed his body, I guess, if you can call it that, you know, where you could see towards the third and the fourth round that pronounce, uh, you know, limp or what, whatever you may call it in, in, in his legs. Uh, the fatigue that happens when you walk, you know, just 18 holes in a, in a day. So I, I expect that because he skipped last, the last, uh, major and he's rested his body, he knows his body more than anyone. I mean, I, I, I think he's going to give it, uh, his best effort. I just don't know if the time off, Golf is a rhythm sport, you know, and if, and if you don't have that rhythm, especially going at, and they always say in these majors, you cannot win the major on your first day, but you can definitely lose it. So if he's not on the top of his game in the beginning, uh, it's going to be tough for him. But you know what? We're all going to be tuned in because when he plays, we care. The nation watches. A- absolutely. And you hit it right on the head there. It's not just the injuries that he has that he's trying to come back from. It's the fact that he's literally only playing majors. Mm-hmm. Play the Masters, then he doesn't play. Plays PGA, then he doesn't play. Skips the U.S. Open, which is probably smart. Now he's going to play the Open. Just that, if you think about it, he's competing against the best players in the world without any warm up, just showing up. Obviously, he's practicing and he's getting ready on his own way and his own timeline. But to just show up and expect to be competitive in a major is remarkable. Here's what I hope from him. If he does make the weekend, I hope he's competitive. I don't want him to have wear and tear for no reason. Um but it would be wonderful to have him actually compete or be competitive for four rounds. Yeah, that would be it. I mean, if the main question is to see how he feels uh, during the week, I'm sure all the reporters are going to ask how much, how close are you to 100%? And I think if he goes throughout the week and he's still in, in, you know, in the high eighties, you know, as far as after round three and, you know, going into uh, round four, that he'd be, competitive i i really here's the thing when you have to adjust your game in golf and what i'm talking about is when you play golf and you're in pain you have to adjust your swing tiger is a power hitter i mean he let he he is he is he is finesse but he's finesse 
in a powerful way. So if he's ailing out there and he has to adjust his swing, that is everything that can go wrong for him. So he's going to have to, you know, make those subtle adjustments, if at any, and actually uh, endure the pain, if you will, in order to play well. But again, if he goes in and he feels well and, you know, Hopefully that his time off, uh, you know, during the last uh, major has done him a good thing. I expect him to do well. All right. Um, let's transition now to the NFL. So we're going to get to a few more rankings today to kind of go through that. It's always fun to do as we get closer to the to the regular season. But Ernie, finally, the shoe dropped this week. I know you were still hoping that somehow Baker Mayfield ended up with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, my God. That did not happen no. as he's finally traded to the Carolina Panthers. So let's talk about what the Panthers had to give up for Baker. And it was practically nothing. First yeah. of all... The Browns got to eat $10 million of his salary, mm -hmm. and then they give up a conditional fifth, meaning if Baker does really well, then it becomes a fourth-round pick. That's practically nothing. nothing yeah. So your thoughts, what does this trade mean for, for Baker, and what does this trade mean for the Panthers and then the Browns going forward? Well, for Baker, it's basically a redemption. You know, I mean, he's he, right now he's got he's he's got to have a a massive chip on his shoulder, uh, going through all the you know drama that's happened you know since the Browns acquired Deshaun Watson. On the Browns side, it's basically okay. Uh, did we make the right move? Because right now, if Deshaun Watson does not play. And Baker Mayfield shows out in Carolina. The Browns are just the Browns. And, you know, the organization is just the organization as it has been for the last umpteen years. I mean, uh, what, one playoff win in the last, I don't know, the last 20 years or something like that. Uh, so, you know, it's really going to have to uh, shine in regards to how Baker Mayfield does in Carolina and, and right now we're, we're midway through training camp or at least through, uh, you know, those practice sessions. Baker Mayfield really doesn't have a full grasp in regards to the Carolina playbook. He's going to have an uphill battle, uh, in fighting, uh, in winning that starting job. Yeah. I mean, he's here. Here's what I think from, from Baker's perspective. I think he has a tremendous opportunity to hopefully revitalize himself and his career going forward from the Panthers perspective it is a little bit concerning to me that now you have two of the top three picks in the draft from a few years back competing against each other to me the winner stays the losers gotta go so in this short run I'm wondering if they're already working or maybe they have had discussions with trading Sam Darnold you know, there was a lot of talk. Are the Seahawks, a, you know, interested in Baker Mayfield? Because they're really the only other team that doesn't have a quarterback that may be looking to upgrade. But Sam Darnold is a USC player. Mm -hmm. Pete Carroll is a USC man. You know, maybe that makes sense there. But for now, if you were to have both of them on there for the whole year, to me, that's a mess waiting to happen, especially if Darnold wins, wins the job. So if Darnold wins the job, you have, you've drafted Matt Corral already. You would have to cut Baker at that point and just eat the, eat the salary, eat the, the fifth round draft pick that you had to give up. But I do not think you want Baker on the roster. 
unless he's actually playing for you. Because we already know that chemistry is definitely not his strength. The players like him. They love his attitude. They love his spirit. But I think he's shown that if he's not the starter, not the man, um, he's not exactly the best team player. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, reports coming out from the Browns organization that uh, they called him immature. I think the exact words were immature and childish. So, yeah, definitely not uh, uh, something that an organization would, uh, you know, pride themselves upon as far as, you know, you know, personnel moves in, in that regards. But I, I'm with you. It, unfortunately, there's going to have to be overlap. I don't think you can f- uh, figure this uh, formula out uh, prior to at least, uh, I don't even want to put a, a number on it, but definitely within the first four games of the season, I, I see an overlap on both of them because let's look back at, as we spoke off the air, the last five games that Baker Mayfield played for the Cleveland Browns, he averaged, his quarterback rating was an average of 35. Terrible, terrible. But this, for Sam Darnold, his last five, 29. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're talking about the best of the worst over here. So... You know, I think the biggest factor for either of them, whoever wins this is going to have to be a healthy Christian McCaffrey. He hasn't been able to stay healthy in a few years. Last year, Darnold started off fairly good. The Panthers are three and oh, McCaffrey gets injured and everything goes to heck. Right. You know, so if he stays healthy the whole year, whether it be Darnold or Baker, that makes it much easier. You have play action. They have some talented receivers. Their offensive line is terrible though. I think only the Miami Dolphins had a worse, worse rated line last year than the Panthers. And we both can agree that if their line is abysmal again, whether it be Darnold or Baker, it's going to be a long year in Carolina. Oh, definitely. Now from the Browns perspective, you can clearly see that they just wanted to get rid of Baker no matter what. This is facing the possibility of having Deshaun Watson be suspended potentially for a full year. As Ernie and I have stated, he should be. Uh, and then going into the season with just Jacoby Brissett and maybe signing another veteran. Um, despite that, they still are like, We'll eat 10 million. <laughs> we'll take a fifth round pick. We just need him out of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've been saying this for months. I was hedging whether or not Cleveland was willing to go into the season with Jacoby Brissett. And this week showed a resounding, we want to move on from Baker. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns are the Cleveland Browns. And unfortunately, uh, you know, what fortunately for my Steelers, you know, that, uh, you know, even on their best years, it levels the playing field. <laughs> so good All luck. Right. Well, good luck to Baker Mayfield. Good luck to Sam Darnold. May the best man win. It may be Matt Corral when all is said and done with the, the, you know, the flaws that both quarterbacks have. So we're going to revisit the, the, uh, pro football focus rankings. In the past, we went through quarterbacks. We went through defensive lines. We did all those kinds of things. Today we'll hit. Wide receivers, 
individual wide receivers and individual running backs. Okay. So we'll kind of go through what they have as their tiers. You know, so we'll start with the with the running backs. And in tier one, you have the elite. And they have the best running back in football as Jonathan Taylor. Let's start there, Ernie. Any any qualms or problems with that? No, no qualms about that. I mean, he's a workhorse. I mean, he... Uh, the only thing that I, I, I have with that is that, uh, he hasn't done it on a long-term basis. Two, he's a running back. And just by case of position, running backs can be here one day, gone the next. So, yeah. you know, but no problem with him being, you know, an elite running back. My only problem with Jonathan Taylor is he was available when the Rams were picking two years ago and we decided to go with another running back instead who I still have high hopes for in Cam Akers but we could have had Jonathan Taylor and Creed Humphrey two years ago. Now there's a second running back that they have in tier one and that's Nick Chubb of the Cleveland Browns. So they have two quarterbacks Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb. I really don't have a problem with Nick Chubb. He's a baller. He does get dinged up though. Every year he tends to miss four or five games um which is why they have kareem hunt sitting there but nick chubb when he's on the field super productive he can catch he can run power score nick chubb number two any 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 issues with him other than him being a brown no i mean he's the good thing about being a brown i mean i i i love nick chubb i mean the guy and the reason why he gets hurt is he just sacrifices his entire body i mean i loved him out of georgia uh, he is a quintessential running back, and I'm glad that he did is doing well, even though he is a Brown. So no problems with him being number two. Okay, so then the then Pro Football Focus goes to a tier two, and they define tier two as elite when they're at full strength, but are often slowed by injuries. So at number three, they have Derrick Henry. To me, Derrick Henry had a broken leg last year, but before that, he was relatively healthy. Considering that Chubb gets banged up as well, I would have had Derrick Henry in that first group. You know, to me, he has been just dominant over a longer period of time other than him breaking his leg last year. So I believe he's getting a little screwed down at three. I would have had him above Nick Chubb, you know, personally, uh, based on his production. Then it goes into number four, Christian McCaffrey. Um, your thoughts on McCaffrey? I think your face agreed with what I'm thinking, but why don't you go ahead and share your thoughts on yeah, McCaffrey I mean, I, being number four? I mean, pro football focus, uh, the, the analytics that they have, I mean, again, I, I question how they rank the teams for if you listen to last week's podcast. I think they're putting too much emphasis on injury. Yes, I agree with you in regards to Derrick Henry. Uh, from the opposite standpoint, I think that McCaffrey is way too high on top of this. I think he is more fragile than any running back out there. I think his prowess on the field has more to do with his pass-catching uh, ability more than the running running back yeah. yeah i mean christian mccaffrey i mean with, with pff again they they always use these grading analytics and for mccaffrey they have to go back to 2019 to use a grade that they have for him because he missed most of 2020 and he missed most of 2021 mm -hmm. now with christian mccaffrey you're right his beauty comes from his 
you know, he can run the ball, but his ability to catch passes, he's a thousand thousand man if that can happen. But I believe McCaffrey is a relatively old young player because in college he was abused. He was catching every pass, running the ball, returning every kick. I mean, he was doing everything at Stanford. So I think he's one of those players that had so much banging before he got to the NFL, where Derrick Henry is slightly different. Alabama has so many running backs that you tend to not play until your junior year, and then you win the Heisman, and then you turn pro. So the number of touches that they have at the college level is relatively small so christian mccaffrey at four i believe is is way too high they've got dalvin cook at five the minnesota running back who's tremendous but has never been able to stay healthy from his rookie year when he's on the field his productivity is off the chart and then they have alvin Kamara at number six um any thoughts on those two before we get to what they consider their tier three I'm wait, I'm waiting to hear Najee's name. <laughs> yeah, I bet you are. So in tier three, this is where they consider to be good starters. So they're number seven running back. And let's just run through the names quickly and then we can comment. Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers at number seven. Austin Eckler, two-way player with the Chargers at number eight. Joe Mixon from the Super Bowl uh challenging Cincinnati Bengals at number nine. So those three are your next tier, which they consider to be good starters. So I really don't have a problem with any of the three players. They're all Pro Bowl caliber players. Uh, I think you're more concerned about what's missing. Yeah, the omission of Najee. I mean, if you put Najee onto any one of those lines, his numbers would be at the very least comparable to those players if not more and so here's Najee tier four elusive backs on rookie deals Josh Jacobs at number 10 with the Raiders and then Najee Harris at number 11 now you're absolutely right Najee this year like when these rankings come out next year I'd be really surprised if he's not in the top five that's my I've always believed in him, but he was running literally uphill all of last year with a with a weakened offensive line where he was getting hit. Basically, you get the ball and he's already being hit. Right. So he was having to create everything on his own. So I think potential Najee Harris next year will be in the top five. I, I, I he will be that, that I can almost guarantee you with a beefed up line. I am crossing my fingers and toes that injury bug from last year. Uh, averages itself out and they become a healthy, you know, sustained line that has cohesiveness. But Najee alone, you know, the, the, they were, they're gonna, if he was overused last year, he's gonna be way overused this year. Yeah. So they're gonna need some quarterback play, not Pro Bowl quarterback play, but they, if it's all, if they're gonna just stack the line like teams do to Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. You know, Henry is able to withstand that, but Henry's a lot bigger than Najee Harris is. Harris is a big boy, but he's not quite Henry-like. But I expect Harris to have a phenomenal year. Another guy that's young that I think is going to have a great year is the Denver Broncos' Javante Williams. He's number 12 on the list. I think having Russell Wilson in town with those weapons, I think he's poised to have a breakout year. Your thoughts on him? I I think they are where they are. I don't have any complaints right now. To tell you the truth, I'm still fixated on Najee being what number was he 11? number eleven? Number eleven. Okay, okay. Well, That's... again, we all know that PFF is based on grades from the year before. So you know, Najee didn't have anywhere near the year that he could have had because of the circumstances. So their team f- tier five is 
studs or supposed studs or past studs, can they bounce back from injury? And I think the interesting name here, the only one that's really interesting here is Saquon Barkley in the Giants. Will he ever be back to what he was at the beginning of his rookie year, or has there been just too many injuries for him? Yeah, there's been just too many injuries. We, we've seen this train come and go. I mean, we've seen great running backs have terrific, you know, historical years, and then they get injured, and they're not themselves anymore. I mean, running back after running back after running back. I mean, it's been... It's, it's crazy out of any position. That's why they're not picked as high as they were yeah. uh, in, in the most recent years. Before you would be able to see a, a running back easily in the top 10 of NFL drafts. Now, boy, you're, you can get a decent running back in the second or the third round because teams are just afraid to most, touch them. Most of them. You know, so it got to the point where no one was drafting running backs early, and then Todd Gurley had a good year. And then it was like, oh, wait, Gurley worked. So let's draft Ezekiel Elliott, who's number 15 on this list. And he's another one that I believe is definitely Con. on his downslope. Yeah. And then Ezekiel had a great year. Then it was, let's draft Saquon Barkley at number two. Um, and then when he started to get hurt, now it's retracted again. I think Najee went lower than expected last year, which is why you were able to get him. And this year, I don't think there was a running back taken in the first round, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. The top running back went to the Jets at the top of round two. So I think people are starting to see, do we invest those kinds of dollars where we can get somebody later? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it's by position and uh, that injury factor plays into the uh, part it, that if you do fall, fall into that injury plague season, it's a it's an uphill battle. So yeah. unfortunately, because I like Saquon, I liked him at, when he was at Penn State, you know, and, and unfortunately, he follows a lot of other Penn State running backs who've had shortened careers or less than stellar careers uh, that uh, were basically projected to be better yeah. coming out of college. Absolutely. And in the last tier, they have solid starters. They go from 16 to 20. James Connors of the Cardinals, Damian Harris from the Patriots, Miles Sanders from the Eagles, David Gun Montgomery from the Bears, and Devin Singletary from the Buffalo Bills. So missing from the entire list, or any Los Angeles Rams. So <laughs> again, next year, I expect Cam Akers to come back and be a really solid contributor. I would be very surprised if he's not in the top 20 next year. I think, I think, uh, last year he came back remarkably six months after tearing his Achilles and gave them something, although he almost single handedly fumbled away the Tampa Bay game. Um, but I think he's going to come back with a year or two to get himself right. I think he's going to have a fairly decent year. So, Ernie, let's transition to the wide receivers. Okay. I'll go ahead and find that. I'll get this list back up for us. And I'm going to bet right now that my receiver is higher than I anticipate him to be at. Okay, so let's go with who they have as Tier 1 Elite. Let's just run through the names instead of going every one. Number one, they have Devontae Adams. Number two, they have Cooper Cup. Number three, they have DeAndre Hopkins. Number four, Stephon Diggs, followed by Tyree Kill at five, Jamar Chase at six, Justin Jefferson at seven, Mike Evans at eight. So the first thing that I notice here is... 
just the way they graded people and how they did tiers between running backs and wide receive uh, wide receivers shows you where the NFL is going. Mm-hmm. There's like two guys in the top tier of running backs, and there's and the way they did their tiers in the in the running backs is so different. There's eight guys that are elite wide receivers, and I, you know, these eight guys are all studs for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they can all be interchangeable. Jamar Chase, I was waiting. I thought he'd be a little bit higher than that. But you know what? Uh, like I said, uh, what separates the elite from the elite is very small margin. So no problem with that list. And then you have to do, I, I think with them, you have to have a little bit of longevity. So I think Devontae Adams has done it for a long time. Now it's going to be interesting. Can he do it without Aaron Rodgers? Yep. Now he's going to have Derek Carr throwing to him. Cooper Cup had the greatest wide receiver season in history. Uh, he's at number two. DeAndre Hopkins... Don't forget, he is suspended for the first six games this year because of uh, drug use in the offseason. So he's going to miss the first six games. And then Diggs has been solid. Jamar uh, Tyree Kill has been a stud, a right. game changer. Can he continue to do it when mm-hmm. you trade Mahomes for Tua Tonga-Vailoa? Is he still going to be able to be productive? And then Jamar Chase has only done it for one year. Justin Jefferson has done it for two years. And Mike Evans is the only person to have his first eight years with a 1,000 yards receiving. Uh, so I think he's an elite company. Now they go to Tier 2, young talent on the cusp of being in Tier 1. So let's run through these names. You have Debo Samuel from the hated San Francisco 49ers, A.J. Brown now with the Eagles, D.K. Metcalf, the human uh, Hulk-looking wide receiver out of Seattle at 12, CeeDee Lamb, uh, I mean CeeDee Lamb at 12, D.K. Metcalf was at 11, T. Higgins from the Bengals at Mm -hmm. 13, Terry McLaurin who just signed his extension with the Commanders at 14. So anything that jumps off the, the... the board for you in this tier. No, I'm waiting to hear other names on top of that as far as, you know, where they're placed again within that tier. I don't have any problems with that. I actually was surprised that CD Lamb was in this tier, you know, because I mean, he's good. He's had some moments, um, but we're going to see this year. Can he take that next step with Amari Cooper now out and playing in Cleveland? Can CD Lamb be a number one? Um, We'll see. And then T. Higgins, a little surprised, very productive, but a little surprised to see him at 13 when there are some missing names so far, I think. But Terry McLaurin, he's been very, very productive considering he's been playing with less than stellar quarterbacks. Now we go to the next tier. Uh, veterans eyeing a bounce back or getting healthy. Chris Godwin, who just tore his ACL. Michael Thomas, who had the most unbelievable start to his career yeah. and has really fallen yeah. on hard times in the last year. Allen Robinson, who's going to be uh, the MVP this year uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> Keenan Allen of the Chargers at 18. Adam Thielen at 19. Julio Jones, who doesn't even have a team, still wow. makes this list at 20. And then Odell Beckham Jr. at 21. Now, he's only 21 if he resigns with the Los Angeles Rams. Other than that, he's going to plummet. But any thoughts there? Because one thing we've noted, we're 21 deep. We have two guys that are hurt that don't even have a team and still no Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I think, well, I wasn't expecting a Pittsburgh Steeler to tell you the truth in the, in the top 20, but I see some hits and misses on top of here, on, on here. I, I definitely can see some of the projected players going higher than where they're placed. And I can see some of these players going way, way below where they're, they've been placed as far as 
top 20 uh, receivers. Uh, I personally believe that Julio Jones is done. He's done. I mean, he's, he's done. had an unbelievable career, but once those hammies start to go, um, it's it's going to be really, really difficult. So even if he finds a place to latch on to, I cannot imagine him being a top 20 wide receiver. I really can't. And then Odell Beckham, as much as I loved him with the Rams, he's not going to play until maybe December. So to have him at 21 seems a little bit of a stretch. The next year has, to me, better receivers. You know, with Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, Mike Williams, DJ Moore, we're going to see how good he is working with Baker. Um, and then Brandon Cooks, who just signed an extension with the Texans. Mm-hmm. Hunter Renfro, who most people are like the poor man's Cooper Cup. Right. Tyler Boyd, a third bingo in the top 30. Cortland Sutton, who many people think is going to have a significant He's good. jump yes. with Russell Wilson yeah. now there. So I like this tier overall better than the tier before. Yeah. Uh, take out Cortland Sutton. I think that's... You know, that's their quarterback effect. Having, having three receivers in the top 30, uh, I'll give them two. I don't think, I don't think they have, I don't think they have three. Yeah. And I, I neither do I. And then you have the up and comers in tier five. Jalen Waddle from the Dolphins had a phenomenal year last year. Devontae Smith from the Eagles, who I think you really believe is gonna, is destined for greatness. Yeah. We talked about him, uh, in the other rankings and then Darnell Mooney. From the Chicago Bears at 32. That's the end of the list, Ernie. That's We're still it? waiting for the Steelers, Ernie. <laughs> Where are the Steelers, Ernie? <laughs> Their tight end's got to be in there. <laughs> okay, gang, we're going to give you bonus coverage. We're going to do the tight ends real quick just so Ernie can be happy. Or please let him be happy. Again, this PFF and the Steelers, somehow, someway, it just does not jive. Analytically, the Steelers just must not test well because they're constantly getting overlooked with all of these rankings. Yeah. So the top tight ends. Let's go through this quickly. Travis Kelsey, one. No George problem. Kittle, two. No problem. Darren Waller, three. Mark Andrews, four for the Baltimore Ravens. Kyle Pitts, five from the Falcons. Dallas Godert. Uh, six with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's tier one. Wow. Okay. Tier two, Rob Gronkowski, who's a free agent. Dalton Schultz from the Cowboys. Now we're in tier three. TJ Hawkinson from Detroit. Okay. I'm not going to argue. Hunter Henry from the New England Patriots, who's constantly hurt. And there we go. Pittsburgh Steeler at number nine. I fear move of the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, and he's going to ascend on top of that. I believe he's going to be top five. He, I would, I wouldn't be surprised if he's, if he's top five, he's different. He's more Rob Gronkowski than he is. Travis Kelsey, yeah. Kyle Pitts, yeah. you know, those guys who are true just receivers, but it wouldn't shock me to have him have 12, 14 touchdowns. Exactly. Because I'm when you get down there, He's going to be the first one they look for. I was going to say that he had more touchdowns than Kyle Pitts, who is in that first Mm -hmm. year. Now, Kyle Pitts is a freakish athlete, but now this year, Kyle Pitts is going to be working with either Marcus Mariota or a rookie uh, in Desmond Ritter. So that's going to be a challenge for him when Mm -hmm. you trade Matt Ryan for that. But then again, Freermuth is now going to be working with Trubisky or Kyle uh, or Pickett. So we'll see. I'm a big believer in Freermuth. 
I'm a big believer in Najee Harris. Um, but PFF ain't. I mean, they just don't like your Steelers or anything. Well, PFF, you only had one category right, which was the tight end position. The rest, you're kind of baloney. <laughs> I thought you were going to say PFF. You can, you know what you can do with your ass. <laughs> that too. All right, gang. So that's, that's all we're going to cover in that regard. We're going to transition real quick to the NBA, and then we're going to get to Ernie's closing thoughts. So with the NBA, we're still all on Kevin Durant watch. Uh, Mm-hmm. And nothing really major has happened. I know officially uh, Danilo Gallinari signed with your Celtics right. today. So that's a great addition for them, giving them depth. Um, but Kevin Durant and Kyrie were, were playing a waiting game. Did you see the off? Did you see what they asked for from the Minnesota Timberwolves yeah. earlier this week? Yeah. Yeah. Game. The Nets are delusional. Yeah. They asked for Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and four number one draft picks. That is just... I don't think Minnesota would trade Anthony Edwards for Kevin Durant one for one. Because <laughs> one guy is 20 and one guy is 34. I honestly don't think they would trade him one for one. And they're asking... If that's what they're asking for, they're either not serious about moving him yeah, or they're think. only going to move him if they're completely overwhelmed. Yeah. And it's beginning to look like the Nets are comfortable saying, we're going to try and honor this, but it looks like they're going to keep them. Yep, you that's, know, that's starting to, it's starting to seem that that's what's going to happen because their, their asks are outrageous. Right. Especially when it comes to Minnesota, I'm pretty sure that Durant, that's not one of his uh, primary destinations. I think, he, you know, at this stage of his career, he's going to want to go to a, uh, a contender. Um, gutting Minnesota with, uh, you know, their top two two players is not going to do well. And I don't know if they even have, how do they have four number one picks to ask for? They just gave five <laughs> to the Jazz for Rudy Gobert. I don't that's, even know how that would work. That, yeah, that's, that, that, that's true. <laughs> I, I really think it's posturing on their side. I full on expect that Durant will remain, uh, with the Nets at least till the start of the season. We'll see what happens from the start of the season until maybe the trade deadline come, you know, February next year. Uh, I just don't see. And if, if this is what they're asking for, the assets that they're asking for is just way too much. Again, I think it's just posturing. I think this is, I think, uh, the Nets management is trying to placate Kevin Durant in this case. Hopefully he cools down, changes his tone. But what happens when the season starts, it's going to be a contentious beginning for the, the Nets. Uh, you know, I truly don't think that the wounds have uh, healed itself right now, uh, unless Kyrie can, you know, make promises after promises. And even when he does that, he's broken promises that this will pretty much mend itself. Uh, I look for them to maybe make a move at the trade deadline or some kind of some team out there really taking the bait and overpaying for him. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I understand that the Timberwolves really threw things off giving four picks and a pick swap for Rudy Gobert. Yeah, that was so crazy. I think everyone really thinks, okay, if that's what they can get, then Kevin Durant is worth this. And, and maybe he is. But that doesn't mean you're going to find a trade partner that's a willing to give you that kind of a ludicrous trade. Right. Um, 
or or somebody that can actually has those assets. So you have to be willing and you have to have the assets. And mm-hmm. people like the like the Lakers don't have any assets to be able to offer. And there are so few teams that do when you factor in rules about you know rookie deals and, and extensions and right. all these types of things that are in play. Uh it's beginning to look a little bit iffy to see Kevin Durant actually moving to a different location. I don't see him going to Golden State. I know that's been more chatter this this week. I just cannot imagine um, Golden State gutting their young talent to go and get them. Word came out today that I heard that their Golden State is more interested in trading Clay and Draymond to bring back Kevin Durant than they are getting rid of their young players. So. Yeah, that, that, that one makes that one makes sense. I mean, I, I think with a lot of these trade requests that has been happening over the, the past couple of years, I mean, let's let's look at James Harden, for example. Uh, I believe the Nets gave up four number ones, but uh, the Houston Rockets uh, just realized, you know, th- that their first pick for Harden comes out to be Tari, East, uh, Tari Eaton. A decent player, but even in James Harden's decline, not a good match. And if the Nets be, uh, stay a perennial playoff team until 2026, I believe that's when their last first rounder uh, basically is given to the Rockets. They're low, they're high picks, and it's basically a crapshoot. When you're picking above 20, well, above 20, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. And so with James Harden, again, uh, the word is this week that he was giving, um, his decision not to opt in was to free up money to sign PJ Tucker, who apparently is a really good friend of his from their days in Houston, mm-hmm. because now they're still negotiating with, with Harden. And I am still fascinated to see how long of a contract and how big of a contract he gets. Because this week you had Damian Lillard, who signed through 2025, who got two more years at an average of $66 million a year. That's crazy. He just missed this year as a 32-year-old injured for most of the year. Now he's got five years left. Man, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that need to extend him two more years at that kind of money, but I'm curious to see what Harding gets. I still would be shocked to see Harding get more than three years and a hundred million. And if the Sixers go above that, I think they're going to regret it. Uh, yeah. I, I, I really think Harding has hit his plateau. I think he's going to be in his, his declining years, which, you know, as far as a player is concerned, Still has the potential to be, uh, you know, a worthy all-star mm-hmm. player, but still at max contract, you know, when you're heading into year three, year four of that contract, it's not going to look pretty. No, I don't think it's going to look pretty. So we'll stay on Kevin Durant and Kyrie watch, especially in Los Angeles. There's a lot of people on Kyrie watch. Kyrie bought a house in Los Angeles last weekend. He's been hanging out in Los Angeles all week long, but that don't mean nothing if the Nets don't want what the Lakers are playing and offering them. Exactly. So, and that's exactly. really what's happening right now. Yeah. And I don't blame the Nets. I wouldn't take Russell Westbrook either yeah. in a one for one type trade. So, Talking about salaries, I'm going to transition to Ernie for his closing thought, thought because I find it fascinating what he's going to talk about, and I hope you guys do too. Yeah, and my, my thought for this week is, what if, what if 
contracts weren't guaranteed. Uh, we've seen it all uh, in the NBA and Major League Baseball, and only until recently uh, have we seen it in the NFL. Uh, these contracts have been exorbitant uh, and cr- basically, if I can just use the word crazy over the last several years, I mean, w- w- let's, let's just throw out a, a couple of names over there. Russell Westbrook, who, who the Lakers do not want, who uh, he's going to be making $47 million this year. John Wall, who just got bought out on a two-year contract, I believe. for well, Now he's with the Clippers right. for two years, but he had to be bought out by the Rockets. Exactly. So that dollar amount there is what he's going to make Exa- this year. Exactly. And that, um, that amount comes out to $47 million. So just, just those two players alone, you know, it's, it's to a point where in the future, management is going to have to figure out why am I paying long-term contracts on players, uh, especially if they get injured like the, like the NFL. I think it, the reason why the NFL really stayed away from it was because NF, the sport itself just tends to be uh, in, in, injury prone. Yeah. So exactly. They average like less than four years per player. Exactly. 3.3, I believe, to be exact in regards, in regards to that. And if they do uh, give you big money, uh, it's a shorter term. It's a, it's, it's a short contract. None of these four or five year extensions. Now, granted, from the business standpoint, you know, and through the collective bargaining agreement, that revenue needs to be shared uh, from an equitable way between ownership and its players, uh, you know. But my thing is, what if they do not guarantee these contracts? And in the end, when it comes down to revenue sharing, break down that percentage into the percentage of the cap that that player takes from the team. So, for example, if said player makes 25% of a team's cap, if that extra revenue goes back to that team and say they're not like a Golden State or a, a, a Sacramento, uh, not a Sacramento, but a, an LA Clipper type of team that are in the luxury tax, that that extra money gets shared with, shared within that team. You know, uh, I think that would be more equitable. I think it would negate all, not negate, but at least diminish these demands for trades. I mean, just ask the Nets alone that you had James Harden talk his way out of his contract. Currently, Kevin Durant, and it was at one point potentially Kyrie Irving. So your top three players were potentially wanting their way out as far as, uh, you know, in order to uh, demand bigger contracts. Uh, in this day and age, if it's not guaranteed, uh, no one's gonna, no one's gonna sign. And great for the people who negotiated those, uh, agreements in the collective bargaining agreement. But as it stands right now with the money, the money, the way it is, I think it's more productive for those contracts, at least to have let's say incentive wise, uh, put more incentives in regards to that. Again, 
You cannot have John Wall, who played for the Houston Rockets, sit on a bench and basically collect all his money. And you as a fan are basically paying that ticket price to pay for his salary for that. I, I think what was remarkable, just, just about John Wall, I, I believe the stat was he played in the, in the three years of the first three years of this contract, he played a total of 40 games, I believe. That might be even high and made $120 million. And he played 40 games in three years. And you're absolutely right. I mean, wow. There's got to be some buyer's remorse. There. there is. And the who's paying for it in this whole case scenario is the fan. I mean, it's coming to a point where, I mean, let's use the Golden State Warriors right now, where they're building, uh, they just built their new arena chase center and they're charging exorbitant prices pricing the normal fan out there i mean it's basically corporate heaven over there i mean i think you mentioned it uh last podcast that they made close to 700 if not over 700 million just on ticket revenue alone i mean 41 games 700 million plus that's 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 ridiculous okay so and 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 for a small market team uh, like Houston, who has John Wall, I mean, if I go to a game and I pay 200 bucks for mid-level seats, let's say they're in the lodges, uh, and I know that by percentage-wise, one-third of this ticket cost goes to pay for John Wall, who I haven't seen play in the last two years. So that's the crazy part of it. I think from a fan standpoint, there has to be a more equitable way. I think if it's presented that way, where the players understand that this is to keep the average fan like you and me, uh, so it doesn't get to a point where it be just becomes corporate America. Because in my opinion, if it continues this way, I don't think... Only the haves will be able to watch sports. Yeah, certainly in person. So, I mean, you're right. I mean, I think just generally speaking, long-term contracts in any sport. You know, baseball tends to give the longest contracts. Because right. I think baseball players ordinarily have the longest careers. But if you look at all the guaranteed contracts, and all baseball contracts are guaranteed, you know, you look at the 10-year, $250 million deal that Pujols signed with the Angels. That was a complete bust. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love me some Mookie Betts, but he's in the third year of a 13-year contract. Is Mookie going to be Mookie for 10 more years? I doubt it. You know, and then you had Corey Seager sign a 12-year contract. Bryce Harper, who just is out with a broken thumb, is in the third year of a 13-year contract. It, it is crazy what people are willing to pay um, in guarantee... Bryce Harper can stop playing because of injury tomorrow and make $35 million a year for the next 10 years. Right. Guaranteed. Um, and the, you're right, NFL has shied away from that. But that's why I think the Cleveland Browns are so hated right now by the other owners. Because not only did they guarantee a four-year contract at a hundred. 34, $140 million, but they did so to a player that could potentially be suspended. Mm -hmm. That is precedent setting. And I think the owners and the general managers in the NFL are cringy because guaranteed dollars can completely screw up your salary cap. 
if you're stuck with players that can't play. Yeah. And I think for the NFL, because there are only a certain number of games, they're not playing 82 or 160 something games. They're, they're playing 17. And boy, did it take forever and a day for them to get to 17. Uh, the revenue just isn't there, even though it's the most watched sport out there between the top three, uh, NBA, NBA MLB included. Uh, it's just not good business practice. And I think they want to put, because that, uh, you own their seating capacity goes beyond the, the 15,000, beyond what your normal baseball stadium will, will hold. You know, uh, they cannot charge ridiculous prices, uh, like the NBA and uh, some, uh, you know, MLB clubs do. So, uh, it's going to come down to, do I want to be a fan that supports this? Do I speak up? Does the ownership realize this? At this current trend, I think something's going to hit the fan in the next year or two. Oh, I'd be fascinated to see what you guys think. I mean, do you agree with Ernie that guaranteed contracts are not a good thing for the fans? It's certainly a good thing for the players. Obviously, if you can get a guaranteed contract, oh, yeah. you have nothing to worry about. You're going to be paid for the extent of the contract. Um, but is it a good thing for the, for the fan? Is it a good thing for the teams? I mean, are the teams benefiting from this when you're stuck with players um, in long-term contracts? Like my Lakers with Russell Westbrook this year, we can't get better because we have 47 million tied up in a player that we don't want, mm-hmm. um, but we can't do anything about it. So the team is handicapped. So these guaranteed contracts can handicap the team is, is definitely a deterrent to the fans. The only real beneficiaries are the players themselves. So in a negotiation, who's going to have more leverage, the players or the clubs? And the owners. And I think it depends on the sport. Yeah. The NBA players control the NBA. So they're going to get what they want. They typically do. But you see the plummeting ratings, you know, in the NBA. Whereas in the other two sports, there's a lot more strength in ownership. So I'm curious to see what you guys all think. But great topic, Ernie. I mean, as a former CPA myself, numbers I find riveting. So any discussion about numbers, I really enjoy. So great job with that. Anything else you want to cover this week? No. <laughs> Gang, we talked about so many things. We talked, we started with Wimbledon. Congratulations to, to, uh, Novak. We talked about Tiger Woods in the upcoming mm-hmm. open. Hopefully he'll be able to pull off a miracle. We talked about the major league baseball at the halfway point. We talked about. Uh, the NFL, Baker Mayfield, and the PFF rankings for run- wide receivers and running backs. And then we talked a little bit about the NBA and what hasn't happened yet and guaranteed contracts. So a packed show for you today. We appreciate you all. Check us out on social media again. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you think about Ernie's topic, Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. And until next week, gang, the Sports Rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.